0: First Corinthians sixteen. One of the things I like about Timothy is that he was real, real human. Uh, the Bible doesn't make any attempt to sugarcoat any of the characters. You know, I think if I was starting a religion and you know I was going to talk about the main people, I'd try to make them look as good as possible and. They never made a mistake or whatever. The Bible doesn't do that. I mean, the Bible shows us people with all their flaws, failings, shortcomings, and I think that communicates there's hope for us. That if God could love somebody and use somebody, I mean, Paul was a terrorist before he got born again. He was going around city to city terrorizing Christians, throwing them in jail. In some cases, we know participating, really, in a murder, um, just, you know, not a nice guy. He would you would not want him to be your neighbor. And um, Timothy, we see him. We we never see anything malicious in Timothy. But what we know about Timothy, what are do you remember any of the traits from First and Second Timothy that might reveal what we might consider some of the shortcomings of Timothy? Some not shortcomings, but just human flaws and areas that that he wasn't necessarily the most powerful person in the world timid. Yeah, he, he tended to be really timid. Um, we know that Timothy was, his, his mother and grandmother were extremely involved in his life. We're not so sure what kind of role his father played. He could have been kind of a mama's boy, to be honest. Um, his dad was maybe more distant, more out of the picture. Paul talked about uh, the role, the faith of his grandmother and mother, but the dad's kind of more out of the picture. Um, his dad was a, a Gentile. His mom and grandmother were Jewish. And so they probably had a lot more influence, and his dad may have been distant. But we do know that he was timid, uh, that he had a tendency to kind of back away from confrontation and conflict. Um, you know, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you because God has not given you a spirit of fear. So, he probably was prone to fearfulness, intimidation. He told Timothy one time, he said, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youthfulness. So, he may have been intimidated by people, things of that nature. Uh, we know that he, uh, he, according to Paul, he had frequent stomach ailments. Um, so, and I've wondered, I don't know, uh, but I wondered if that wasn't maybe an anxiety thing for him, that he was kind of real nervous and and, and maybe had a nervous stomach. But, um, we do see something in first Corinthians 16 and verse 10. Now, let me, let me talk to you about Corinth for a minute. Uh, Corinth is the place where, uh, church members were getting drunk at communion service. Corinth is the place where, uh, men were visiting prostitutes. Church men were visiting prostitutes Corinth was the place where one man in the church had stolen his stepmother from his father and was living with her in open sexual sin. Corinth um, was the place where Paul said there were divisions and strife and envying among the church members. In short, Corinth was a mess. Uh, Corinth would have been any pastor's nightmare to you know be told you're going to go take you're going to pastor this group of people like really i mean they were they were carnal they were um, there there's trouble galore in corinth and um so paul tells uh, the corinthians i'm going to send timothy to you timothy who's prone to intimidation fear um that type of thing, nervousness maybe. Now, notice what he says to the Corinthians in First 1 Corinthians 16.10. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. First thing he tells the Corinthians, he said, I'm going to send Timothy, don't scare him. For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. Don't intimidate him. He's saying, don't be mean to Timothy, but send him on his journey in peace. You see how he, Paul is going out of his way because he knows that Timothy struggles in these areas and he's telling the Corinthian church, don't beat up Timothy when he comes. Don't bully him. Don't be mean to him. When Timothy leaves, I want him to leave your place in peace, not in pieces. says that he may come to me for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. See, Paul as a leader knew that you can put some people in some situations that will destroy them. And sometimes you have to kind of pay a little bit of extra attention to create an environment where somebody can succeed. And, And yet Paul used Timothy, even though Timothy may not have been fully developed, fully mature, fully grown in all these areas aren't you glad that god doesn't have to wait until you're perfect before he can use you and sometimes we need to do what paul does sometimes we kind of need to look out for somebody that struggles in an area and just be there to provide him some extra encouragement and i just love it that um you know timothy while he didn't have any glaring sin in his life or you know horrible attitudes he did have some vulnerabilities and yet paul used him God used him. And, uh, and so that communicates a lot to us. Now, the very next verse says something interesting as well, now concerning our brother Apollos. Now, let me tell you a couple things about Apollos. Apollos, first of all, was named after a god. <laughs> you know, the god Apollo? He's named after a god. And what we know about Apollos from Scripture is that he was a masterful teacher. There were people in Corinth that thought Apollos was a much better preacher than Paul was. He, he is known as a man who was highly educated. Um, he, when Apollos walked into a room, when you look at the different Scriptures, he would have commanded respect. I mean, he had it all together. He was educated, he was polished, he was eloquent. I mean, he would have been, uh, if, if two churches were trying to decide, do we want Apollos or do we want Timothy? No choice. Apollos was the man. He was sharp. He's talked about Timothy, and he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling At this time, however, he will come when he has a convenient time. Isn't it interesting that Paul put Apollos and Timothy side by side here? Here's Timothy, kind of struggles, gets intimidated, kind of fearful. But man, Timothy will do whatever I want him to do. If I want Timothy to come, he's going to come. Apollos, I I asked Apollos if he would come, but nah, not now. He'll come when it's convenient for him. So what do we see here? On a talent level, look, on on a talent level, Apollos is up here, Timothy's down here. Not that Timothy was without talent, but he did not have the talent of an Apollos. Apollos was here on talent, and Timothy is here on talent. But you know what? Attitude... Timothy's way up here, Apollos is way down here. Apollos will do it when it's convenient for him. Now, Apollos is mentioned a couple times in the New Testament, and every time it does, it talks about how talented he was. But he's not the co-author with Paul on, what is it, six or seven New Testament epistles. He doesn't have two letters written to him. And see, sometimes we think that the people who are going to make the biggest difference in the kingdom of God are the people with the greatest talent, but not so. It's going to be people with the greatest attitudes. Timothy had not as much talent, but he had a phenomenal attitude. I want to talk to you. Um, let's go back to some of our other teaching. I want to talk to you about um, some of the lessons I learned uh, when I was an assistant pastor um, I told you about my experience as a janitor and some of those attitude issues, you know, kind of had to get out of those tailspin issues. Um, And I would love to tell you, I would love to say to you that I never, ever had another attitude problem after that. Um, But I will tell you this, at times, if my attitude, like I spent 20, I, I spent nine months as a janitor, then spent 22 years as an assistant pastor. And I remember one time as an assistant pastor sitting in a staff meeting, and the pastor made a decision, and I didn't think it was the right decision. I didn't say anything outwardly, but inwardly I thought, oh man, if I was the pastor, I wouldn't have made that decision. And immediately I heard the Holy Spirit on the inside of me saying, if you were a pastor, what kind of assistant would you want working for you? And uh, I said, Lord, I I said, I'm not going there. I said, I said, we've been down this road before on the janitor thing. And I said, Lord, I may not agree with Pat, but I'm going to give my full support and I'm going to treat it, you know, as though I agreed with that decision, you know, things like that. And here's what we need to understand. Nobody's ever going to agree on every decision. Um, You know, we have to agree on the essentials. You know, we have to agree. Jesus is Lord. The Bible is the word of God and Jesus. But, you know, when it comes to everything else, there's going to be all kinds of thoughts and opinions and different, but you know, once a decision has been made, you just pitch in and help and you, you support it as though you thought it was the greatest decision ever made. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, the pastor will make a different decision later. And, and, but, but what happens is pastor makes a decision, somebody doesn't like it. So they pout and all that, and they don't put their full effort behind it. Then if it doesn't work out, you don't know if it was because the decision wasn't a good decision or if because people pouted and didn't cooperate with it. But if everybody gets behind it and then that, and then it doesn't work, then the pastor can say, you know what, we gave it our best shot. Maybe we need to adjust that or tweak that. And, and you make adjustments and go on. That's all there is to that. But um, at any rate, uh, I had those experiences of getting my attitude adjusted as a janitor And then uh, when Lisa and I did that thing in Australia that summer and came back to attend second year, the pastor called us in. And one of the things that I still think is humorous to this day, and I believe God has a good sense of humor, is that the pastor told us when he hired us as assistant pastors, he said, "Um, Tony, one of the reasons we want you on staff as an assistant pastor, he said, we watched you as a janitor. And the traits that we saw in you as a janitor are the traits that we want in an assistant pastor. And I just smiled and said, well, praise the Lord. (laughs) You know, sometimes you pray, God, let the gifts of the Spirit flow, let revelation, and then other times you're thankful that people don't see everything. And I think God, you know, probably because I kept all that stuff to myself and I didn't let it, you know, and he dealt with me internally, so... Maybe, But if I'd been mouthy about it or whatever and, you know, vocal about everything, then probably would have been a different scenario in many different ways. But, um, you know, that, that element of, Lord, make me profitable to the pastor that I work for. Um, that continued, you know, certainly it became my prayer at this point and continued for some time. And I believe that I stumbled across, you know, they say even a blind squirrel will occasionally stumble across a nut. And so even if I'm not very smart, I did learn some things as an assistant pastor about the traits, the characteristics that will make you profitable to your pastor. And you don't have to... It's it's not about title. It's not about position. What I'm going to be sharing with you is not for an associate pastor. It's for anybody and everybody that serves in any capacity. And I have asked, uh, I did a survey one time, actually, where I asked uh, probably 100 pastors or so, what is the, the most important trait that you have or, or that you value in people who are going to be leaders and workers with you? This is a question to pastors. And almost without exception, pastors answered loyalty, loyalty, not talent, because talent without loyalty creates problems. People with talent they get a following, but they're not loyal. They don't, you know, they don't keep things on the same page, go in the same direction. Um, they create followings for themselves, um, different things. But loyalty means that we're going to be team members together. That we're not working against one another. We're working together. Uh, loyalty means that, you know, I'm not going to ever stab you in the back. I'm not going to undermine you. I'm not going to subvert you, but I'm really going to support you and be faithful in heart and, you know, promote us together as a team. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull away and pull people after me. You know, it's kind of hard sometimes to define loyalty, but you know what it is. Uh, Duke Ellington one time, uh, the great composer was asked for a definition of rhythm. And Duke Ellington said, he thought for a minute, he said, if you got it, you don't need no definition. And he said, if talking about rhythm, he said, if you don't got it, ain't no definition going to (laughs) help. But I found out one of the things I found out very quickly is that people, especially when people yield to immaturity, when they yield to carnality, they kind of They kind of like division. They kind of like strife. Um, You know, as I was walking, Lisa and I were walking through the airport in Dallas the other day. We had to walk by one section that was, uh, they had the fake temporary walls. And and a crew uh, went in right in front of us before we walked by that area. And do you remember, honey, do you remember seeing them? They all had the hard, and it said something demolition, but they were demolition people and um they were going in probably with sledgehammers to knock down stuff you know and then something else would be built but did you know uh it it it's way easier to demolish something than it is to build something tearing something down and there's something in people there's something in people's flesh that just you know just like people get obsessed with the tabloid who's divorcing who and who's sleeping around with who and what scandal and that there's something in in people that you know kind of gravitates toward that and i think that's definitely part of our unrenewed you know flesh part that's not part of the born again person that god's called us to be and there are people that just out of an intrinsic kind of rebellious defiant thing They just like taking shots at leaders. And um, one of my first lessons as an assistant pastor had to do with loyalty. And the pastor told me, he said, Tony, one of the things I want you to do that will help me is I want you to help me with hospital visitation. And that was a church that I went on staff at. It had 1,800 members. And the pastor did not have a lot of help with hospital visitation. And um, really, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that one person has to do all that. Um, I, I think it's great when a pastor and his staff can tend to some of that. But I think one of the greatest things that can ever happen is when we create an entire culture in the church where everybody's loving one another and everybody's encouraging. It's not, oh, somebody's having to send them to the pastor, send them to the pastor, send them to the pastor. But but a body of encouragement and you know, nurture and care where the family cares for the family. And um, so he said, Tony, I want you to help me with hospital visitation, and I was happy to do that. He took me on a whole, but, you know, 10 hospital visits or so over a few days and showed me just kind of the etiquette of, you know, how to do hospital visiting. And, and I learned and listened to, you know, what you're trying to accomplish and things like that. And so then he gives me a list and, and asked me to go start visiting people on my own. And one of the first people I visited uh, was an older lady. She had to be in her mid-80s, I would think. And um, I knocked on the door, went in, sat down, uh, pulled up a chair. And she reaches out. This is one of my first solo hospital visits. She reaches out for my hand and takes my hand. She's so sweet. And she starts patting me on the hand. And I thought, this is so nice. And, And then she says in the sweetest, tenderest voice, she says, oh, Brother Cook. She said, I'm so glad you've come to see me. And, and my heart was just immediately kind of filled with gratification and, oh, this is so neat being able to go love people. And, and I'm thinking, you know, she's probably lonely and maybe afraid and all that. But then her voice changed. She said, oh, Brother Cook, she said, I'm, I'm so glad you've come to see me. And then she said, and I want you to know the senior pastor hasn't been by. And wow, did that change the atmosphere in the room. Now, I'm, I'm 21 years old and totally inexperienced and all that, but I just, I knew something weird just happened. And I'm trying to process, you know, what, what all had happened. And I realized she's mad at the senior pastor. Um, you know, maybe she's disappointed that I'm here. But on one hand, she was telling me how wonderful I am. Oh, Brother Cook, I'm so glad. And then she's turned out smacking the senior pastor. And, you know, some people probably in that spot, I don't know, I, I was just so thankful that the pastor trusted me and allowed me to have a, a privilege of representing him in the hospital. And so the last thing I'm going to do is side in with her, you know, but... She obviously didn't know me well because she felt very comfortable criticizing the pastor in front of me. And I have to ask myself, why would somebody feel comfortable attacking the pastor in front of me? She apparently didn't know that I was very loyal to him and was going to stay loyal to him. Because somebody could in that situation, somebody could say, well, dear sister, I'm, I'm just here because, well, I, I love the people. Well, what if I had said that? Or what if I'd said, well, I'm here because I have a heart for the people. What's the implication of that? He doesn't. And see, one of the things the New Testament warns us about very strongly is to watch out for people who will rise up within a church to draw away disciples after themselves. Our job, my job, is to promote the unity of the body not listen very carefully not to try to make myself look good at somebody else's expense and see i had that opportunity and she she was kind of inviting that opportunity really um but i just said well ma'am let me tell you i said do you know why i'm here and she said well no and i said well i'm here because pastor beller asked me to come see you and I said, he, he handed me your name today and wants me to come check on you because he's been praying for you. And I want you to know everybody on the staff, everybody in the church loves you. And I said, you know, I, I may be here today, another person may be here tomorrow, but I said, it's all the church. We love you. All of us love you. See, I wasn't going to let her pit one person against the other. And that was the Corinthians' problem is that they were all choosing their favorites. Well, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter, Cephas, you know, um, you know, people were were getting divided over leaders and um, it's not God's plan. God promotes the unity of the body. And so, you know, I had that opportunity and and over time I saw that many people, they just like to, uh, one of the things that uh, Proverbs says is one of the things that God hates most is those that sow discord among the brethren. You know, getting people pitted against one another and things like that. So I made the decision at that very young age, very new in ministry, just getting started, that I'm going to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. And if I ever see anything that's creating division, strife, uh, you know, trying to make one person look good by tearing another person down, uh, that I'm just not going to be a part of that. And there there really comes a point in time where um, you really need to speak for unity. Some th- people say, well, I'll just be quiet because I don't want to create any conflict. But really to stay silent in some of those situations is the same as saying, I agree. So we need to proactively be proponents of unity and and really be supportive of leadership. And now, now people sometimes say, ask the question, well, what do you do if you if if you know somebody's saying something and you agree with them well if you have a disagreement with the pastor the bible thing is to go to them privately uh but my my position was always this if i have a disagreement with the pastor about something then my my responsibility is to talk to him personally about it um but i i don't ever fuel you know uh strife division and things like that so loyalty is the most important thing. The second thing that, and we've talked a lot about this already, but but keeping a great attitude. And I find that when people, especially when people get fatigued, when they get tired, they tend to be more critical. Have you ever noticed that when you get worn out, it's harder to keep a good attitude? And That's one of the reasons we have to stay spiritually fresh because you'll find that people who who get critical about everything really aren't passionately in love with Jesus either because if you're really on fire in love with Jesus, you're going to tend to be more thankful than you tend to be critical. And what we need to understand is that there will always, always, as long as we're in this human body, there's always going to be things to find fault with. But the question is not whether we find fault with things because anybody can do that. That's like the cheapest gift there is. Well, I have the gift of fault finding. Well, um, number one, it's not a biblical gift. It's a, it's a gift from hell, actually. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't accomplish anything, and all it does is gets us focusing on the wrong things. There will always be things to focus on negative if we choose to. Just like in a marriage, there's always some fault you can find with your spouse if that's what you're looking for. Um, but the goal is to find uh, find the positive things. Keep searching for the positive. Keep accentuating the positive and be thankful for the positive. You know, you can ask Lisa. She can tell if you were to ask her, you know, does your husband have any negative aspects to his, which please don't ask her that. But if you did, she could, She and I, I'm sure she would say, oh, no, he's as perfect as you think he is, and then she'd laugh. But, um, <laughs> no, she could give you plenty of things, but, you know, for, for us to be happy in our marriage, which we are, we have to choose to focus on the positives, accentuate those, and have a lot of thankfulness for the positive. If you just dwell on the negative about anybody, you're going to find plenty of reasons to be upset. But the more you focus on the negative, you're just making yourself more upset about them. And so you don't do yourself or anybody else any good. But here's what I found when my attitude um, is not what it should be, and it does. Occasionally I get a little attitude problem. But when, when I have an attitude problem, here's what I always find. I find that I want to blame it on somebody else. I don't want to take responsibility for my attitude. I want to blame it on a person or a circumstance. But can I tell you something? No other person can force you to have a bad attitude. No circumstance can force you to have a bad attitude. Viktor Frankl, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he was a psychiatrist in either Austria or Germany, and a Jewish gentleman, he was put in a concentration camp in World War II. I think he was actually in several, a handful. A whole bunch of his relatives died. Um, he saw the absolute worst that humanity has to offer. And the way he survived the concentration camps was, and, and he said, I established a purpose. He said, when you go through pain, he said, you got to have a purpose and he said if you lose your purpose you know you're you're in trouble and his purpose was this is what he adopted as his purpose because he was a psychiatrist and f- studied behavior and everything he made it his goal that he was going to treat concentration camp as a classroom and he was going to learn what it took to survive and he was going to note what happened in the mindset of the people who gave up hope and surrendered versus the people that fought and kept up hope and things like that. And he, could always, he would always envision himself after the war, after the concentration camp, lecturing to students about attitudes. And here is a conclusion that he came out of that experience with. He said anything, everything can be taken from a person except one thing. And he called it the last of human freedoms. And he said, everything can be taken from a person except one thing, and that is your ability to choose your attitude under any given set of circumstances. Your ability to choose your attitude. I think we've all been around long enough in life to know that life sometimes throws us some stuff that we don't want, that we don't think we deserve, uh, life. How, how many of you in the year two thousand thirteen? Life threw you some circumstance that you didn't appreciate. And the thing we can control, we can't always control what happens, but what we can control is what kind of attitude we're going to have about it. Because we can choose to feel sorry for ourselves. We can choose to wallow in self pity. We can choose to moan and belly, or we can choose, you know what? I don't like this, but I'm not going to let it beat me. God's bigger than this. And our attitude makes all the difference. And that's where you have a Timothy who continued to excel, whereas an Apollos who had the great talent, but because it wasn't convenient for him. You know, there's a different, we, we can live a Christian life of convenience or we can live a Christian life of consecration. And convenience says, God, I love you, but I'm going to serve you on my terms when I want, how I want, if I want. Or there's consecration, which says, God, I'm yours. The, my answer is yes, what do you want me to do? And and that makes all the difference. So um, one of the things that I decided as as an assistant, pastor, and I think anybody in the church can adopt this, is that, and I got to see up close personal and firsthand, I got to see how much junk the pastor had to deal with. Because what happens in a church is that it's full of human beings, and human beings have all kinds of things going on, good and bad. Did you ever notice that bad news travels faster than good news? Did you notice that um, you, you never open the paper and read about the you know, 300 and some million Americans that were not murdered last night. You read about the one that was. You read about, you don't read about all the planes that didn't crash. You read about the one that crashed. You don't read about all the nations that are not having civil unrest. You read about the nation that's having a riot. People just fixate and are focused on bad news. And I found that in a church setting that... Uh, And I don't say this so that if you're facing a real crisis, you don't tell anybody. But what I'm saying is that if 20 people in a church in a given week have a crisis, the pastor will probably hear about 17 of those crises. If 20 people have a blessing in their life in a given week, the pastor might hear one or two of those. 'Cause people are much more quick to share a negative report and many times in a very legitimate way for a prayer request or something. But what I'm saying is when you're in spiritual leadership, you're constantly hearing bad news. And problems, you know, for example, when your garage door opener doesn't work, you're thinking, Man, the garage door opener is busted, it doesn't work. You're not saying you, you you don't say, Thank God the washer, the dryer, the refrigerator, um, the water heater, and all that stuff is working. Praise God that only the the uh, garage door opener is given it. think about all the appliances, my hair dryer, my CD player, uh, everything. Thank you, Lord. You see what I'm saying? It's just human nature. And so I would sit in staff meetings and I would watch the pastor get hit with all this negative stuff about what's going wrong in this department, what this parent's upset about this, this person was griping about this in the choir, this person, you know, and I just realized, you know what, there's way more good going on. Why does the bad news get all the volume? And, and I just made up my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endeavor to encourage not just the pastor, but all the other staff ministers. If I'm standing at the door, and I'm, I'm the associate pastor. I don't have anything to do with children's ministry or the youth ministry, but if somebody comes by and a parent just happens to say, yeah, my, my kid had a real breakthrough in the youth meeting Wednesday night, and he'd been struggling with hanging out with some wrong people, doing some wrong stuff, but Wednesday night at youth, he made a consecration to God, and and he's broken some associations, and he's committed to you know walking closer with God. Uh, when I get into staff meeting Wednesday, I, I want to tell the youth minister, that in front of the whole staff because he might need that encouragement because he's he's wrestling with frustration over a few youth that aren't living right. So I just want, see, every church member, every church member is always walking around with a bucket in each hand. One bucket has gasoline in it. The other bucket has water in it. And you're always going to run into somebody who's lighting a little fire. And you have a choice. Are you going to pour the water on it? Or are you going to pour the gasoline on it? And again, we want to be the peacemakers. And it's not that there aren't times where something, there's a problem, we need to change it and adjust it fine, but... But it's one thing to do that, but it's another thing to get the attitude out of adjustment over it. Um, here's a, a so I made this decision. You might want to jot this down. I made the decision that I wanted to be a low maintenance, high output person. I don't want to be a whiner, a complainer, a griper. I want to be a producer. I want to focus on the things to be thankful about, I want to praise the things that are virtuous. Because the more you praise people, and not when I say pray, you understand I don't mean worship them, but when you praise, when you encourage people, um, you encourage them to do it more. What gets praised gets done. You know, when was the last time you thanked somebody for serving in an area of the church that you don't have anything to do with? Maybe you don't have kids, but thank the children's workers because they're, Loving the children, maybe you don 't have anybody elderly in your home, but thank the people that go to the nursing home. If we just had um, in in any church just an attitude of affirmation, praising, thanking, appreciating one another, uh, that culture then creates an environment where good things thrive. But it starts with attitude, especially thankfulness. Number three, first of all, great supportive ministers are loyal number two. Uh, Great supportive ministers have a great attitude. And here's another one. Great supportive ministers are faithful. Faithfulness. And faithfulness implies dependability and reliability to be counted on. One, One of the great elements of faithfulness is found in being so diligent about your area of responsibility that whoever your supervisor is never has to think about your areas of responsibility. Because they know that if you're in charge of something, that it's going to be done well and it's going to be done thoroughly. Joseph is one of the great examples in the Bible of a faithful man. And, I mean, he's also an example of a man that got messed over by people. I mean, you talk about somebody that had injustice done to him. I mean, he was treated unjustly. But no matter what happened to him that could have made him bitter, he just became better. I mean, can you imagine your own brother selling you into slavery because they're jealous of you? And they would have killed you, but they didn't want to deal with the guilt So they sold you as a slave and you get sold as a slave into a foreign land and you're doing, Joseph excelled in his job. And then Potiphar's wife lied about him and he maintained his integrity before God, but then he gets thrown into jail for a crime he didn't commit, for an offense he didn't commit. And I mean, if anybody ever had a right to say, God, is this what serving you gets me in life? God, if this is, if this is what serving you gets me, then forget it. If this, is doing the, if this is what doing the right thing gets me, forget it. I don't want to do the right thing. If this is how you say thank you, God, forget it. Joseph didn't do that. He gets sold into slavery. He becomes the best uh, servant that Potiphar had. Uh, he is faithful to God. He gets thrown into prison. He becomes the best prisoner in the prison to the point that the, the warden ends up putting everything in charge under Joseph's care. He, you know, if you get thrown into prison, just end up running the prison. All right. And uh, so Joseph, no matter how hard the enemy would knock him down, he'd always rise to the top. Next thing you know, he's running a country. It's the prime minister of a country. But what we read about Potiphar and what we read about the warden of the prison and even what we read about Pharaoh is that once they gave it over to Joseph, they didn't have to think about a thing because they knew Joseph was going to take care of it. He was faithful. He was dependable. He was reliable. Um, Ability is good. It's good to be talented. It's good to be skilled. But ability does no good without dependability. Without reliability. And even to back it up further, ability does no good without availability. So, we want to have ability, but don't, you got to have availability. That's what Apollos, he wasn't available. He would do it when he had a convenient time. But Timothy was ready whenever. So, faithfulness. Part of faithfulness is being able to release the pastor or others. From mental clutter. When when Pastor Hagen would go on vacation, my and he would leave things in my care. Uh, my desire was to do things in such a way that he could go on vacation and not think about what was going on in the church. And he would know that if an issue came up, I was going to deal with it and deal with it wisely, properly that things were going to be taken care of. Um, but, but pastors, when they have people they can delegate to and know that that's going to be taken care of, and they're not always having to think, oh, are they going to do this part? Are they going to do that part? Uh, that is such a blessing to have faithfulness.